Better yet. Yeah. It was a hell of a decade, too, let me tell you. <laughs> Just saying. I'm Marilyn. I'm an alcoholic. Wow, I'm just like, oh, I'm pumped, man. I'm like, whew. You know, all I ever wanted to be was alive, and I'm alive right now, let me tell you. It's flowing, it's pumping, it's like, whew. Anyway, um, thank you so much, um, Amy and Dylan, for asking me to, to be here. And we got a big representation from Eugene. So, yeah, wow. Look at us. Look, Eugene, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, and I want to thank you, ladies, um, because all of you, whether I'm in your life right now or not, you've all contributed, and you all keep me sober. I love our hometown AA. I want to thank you all, and I mean it. Um, when Amy asked me, I said, yeah, of course, I'll do it. And, you know, I always get nervous. I never really enjoy it until once I get going and God shows up and, you know, takes over. And um, then she sent me my steps, and I was like, What? Don't they know I'm the spiritual one? You know, I'm like, really, six and seven? I'm like, geez, that's what they think of me, right? This is, <laughs> and then I just wanted to share that with you. That's how I know I'm the perfect speaker for these steps, right? <laughs> because I defect out every day. Every single day in my mind, I defect out. I just don't act on it, and I just don't pay attention, but every single day I defect out. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it's going to be. Sometimes God removes it, sometimes not. But I keep trying, right? I keep lifting my eyes, right? I just keep lifting my eyes, you know? And when I think about lifting my eyes, I think about standing tall, and I think about looking to God and thanking God for every day that I get to be here and stay sober. And I think about little babies, you know, how babies look at you. You know, that's how God's looking at me. So I'm like, okay. That's how I want to look at everybody, with that openness and that, you know, up through like they get to about seven, right? <laughs> but that openness and that that wide, that wide-eyed wonder, you know, all that love, that's what I try and do daily. I don't do it. I defect out every day. But that's what I try for, and that's how I think God's looking down at me, with all this love and all this life and all this wonder. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Look what I gave you. Let's do it. You know, it's cool. Um, I, um, things were really good until I hit second grade. And um, <laughs> I just want to share with you a few events that happened when I was seven um, that were traumatic to me. And um, one was that I got to my first, my first class in second grade. It was a new school, too. And I got to my first class, and um, there was a girl there with my same exact name. My same exact name. I mean, first, middle, and last name. And I'm like, I was devastated. I mean, I was like, I thought I was special. I thought I was unique. That's what they tell you. And somebody has my same exact name. And I'm like, pissed. And I'm horrified. And I'm wanting to cry, but I'm not going to because, you know, I'm holding it together. <laughs> and then the teacher goes, well, who wants to go by Bunny? And I go, Bunny? Inside I'm thinking, Bunny? And then the girl goes, I will. And I thought, oh, at least she's stupid. You know? <laughs> this is how I'm thinking at age seven. And I'm thinking, good, she's dumb at least, right? And then we get to penmanship, and I'm thinking, that has one less letter. 
that is not fair. Now I want to be Bunny because she has to write less. This is how I am at age seven, you guys. <laughs> the other thing that happened is we entered a coloring contest. This is the same year to win a bike through Jack in the Box. My brothers and I, and mine was fantastic. In the lines, looking good, good mix of color. We, we turn him into Jack in the Box, and my brother Mark wins the bike. He was out of the lines, he wins the bike, and I throw a fit. I mean, not just little crying, I'm like on the floor, slamming doors, crying, that's my bike, that's my bike. And my mom, like, it was probably about three years ago, something like that, three years ago, she said, Mary, do you remember the bike? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I remember the bike, Mom. She's like, wow, you really threw a fit. I'm like, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh my God, oh my God, the bike, you know. And I, I, I had kind of on some level forgotten about the bike, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I never really forgot about the bike, right? And then um, I, was, I threw a fit. I just couldn't believe it. I thought God had deserted me. I was already going to um, you know, confession. I was already doing everything right. God had already desert, deserted me, but then, Two weeks later, my brother's bike got stolen. I know, and everybody was destroyed about it. <laughs> and I know, you guys, I knew I should have been, but deep down, I was so happy. I was like, oh my God, there is a God. Thank you. You know, I just knew that God was on my side. Now, of course, I couldn't show that. I knew better. I knew better, but that was already the beginning of knowing that, that I was just wrong, knowing that I was just bad. And that's just little girl stuff, right? But deep down, I felt bad about it. But, oh well, you know, it's like, me first, you never, you know? And, and you know, that's, that's, just, that's just how it is for me. That's just how it is. And another thing, the third thing that happened, and then I'll move on, I promise, was that... Um, my mom and dad had this cosmetic business, and um, I would be watching Laugh-In, you know, I got to watch that, and it was, oh my God, those girls in the cages. Some of you won't know what that is, but some of you will. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to be those girls in the cages, and, you know, with the white lipstick, and so my mom had this white lipstick, so I stole it. And she had a bunch of them. They, they were in the house. So I took it and I go to school and I put it on, <laughs> and I have white lipstick on in second grade, you know flirting with the boys, and I was into it. And then I'd, I'd walk home and I'd take it off, and the school called, the teacher called my mom, <laughs> narked me out, and um, my mom says, Mayor, come in here, did you, do you wear, are you wearing lipstick? No, no, not me, I'm not wearing lipstick. And she goes, well, let me look in your things, and sure enough, she found the lipstick, and she said, did you steal this? And I said, no, it was just right there. And, um, this is just how I am, right? This is why I need AA, right? So you can best believe when I drank, I was ready for it. I mean, that was age seven, you know? Um, I wanna share one more incident so that I can share with you the family defecting out moment, which was I grew up in an alcoholic home and my dad um, died of this disease when I was 16. He died upstairs in his room. My mom was sleeping with me that night because the bed had been too urinated and he was yellow and he was cold and he died of cirrhosis of the liver, right? Just, I've, I've watched the progression of the disease. 
But a few years prior, we went on our last family vacation because they, they weren't happening anymore after this one. It was a bad scene. And um, my dad was in the bar. We were at the Madonna Inn in California, which is this fancy place. Some of you are nodding your head. It was, it was real good. It was very fancy, right? The bathrooms and everything. And this, this was in the 70s, so you know, it was woo, right? I think it's kind of kitschy and funny now, but then it was like the place. And so um, we went there, and my dad went to the bar, and then, you know, at 2 in the morning, they call our room, and they say, you got to come get, get your husband and your dad. He's asleep at the bar. He passed out. My dad was six four and a half and over 300 pounds. I mean, he's a big dude, right? And so we're dragging him. And this is after years of living with an alcoholic, okay? He was abusive. He wasn't nearly as abusive as stories I've heard, but it was an alcoholic you know, home nonetheless, all right? And so we're dragging him up. This It was a bit of a hill, and he's heavy. And there's my two brothers and me and my mom. Okay, we're Mary, Marilyn, Mark, and Matt. We got the M's going on. We got the M power, right? And so we're dragging him up, and all of a sudden my mom just sets him down and kicks him. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, and then we all start just kicking the heck out of my dad, kicking him, and it was like it was like years of like pent up stuff, you know, kicking, kicking, and you know, to this day, whenever I read to the wives, I'm thinking, yeah, we never, we, my mom never read that, you know, we, <laughs> and I have to tell you, it was fantastic, it was very cathartic. I felt great about it, you know. I felt I had no problem doing that, you know. He woke up in the morning, he might have been bruised, who knows? We were just, shh, never happened, you know? It was great. So every, you know, I'm in a book study every, every Monday night, and those of you that are in my home group, I know you've heard that story, I'm sorry. Um, but whenever we get to that chapter, you know, every few years I share about it because it was pretty funny, right? Um, anyway, I swore I would never be like my dad. You know, I swore I would never be a loser alcoholic. You know, my mom said he was sick, and I'm like, he's sick all right. You know, he's a loser. It was a moral issue. Oh, yeah, it's a disease, fine. It's a moral issue, you're a loser. I knew it. You know, I swore I'd never be like him. I grew up in Southern California. Look at me, I have brown, frizzy, curly hair. Big nose, I can't lay out on the beach, I'm too hyper. You know, at that, I, I just, I can't stand it. I just, I can lay there for five minutes and then I'm like, let's go do something. You know, I just, I can't, I just can't do it. And um, so, I just, I just felt like I was out of place from the get-go, you know? And, um, you know, I had my first drink when I was 15, and I drank that beer down. It was an old English 800, and I know, I know. And it hit me, just like you hear about, you guys. It was the magic for me right then and there. And I went, oh, Dad, I get it. My dad was dead a year later, right? But at that moment, I was like, oh, daddy, I get it. Because I felt so pretty. I felt blonde. I felt like, you know, my name's Marilyn, and I was named after guess who? <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Look just like her, don't I? So all blondes were on my fourth step, right? And um, <laughs> he had a little, little thing about that. And um, anyway, I felt like her. I felt like I was blonde. Blonde and I was funny and I just knew I had arrived like Bill talks about I had arrived, you know Just that you I mean to me still you guys still just thinking about that feeling. I'm like yes Yeah, that was the best. It was so great um, 
I was I would I got to go to dance class when I was a kid and it was the one place I could go where I could escape from my house and I could go and they would turn on the music and I and it was just a place where I could escape and I it was like I got a lot of kudos there I was very talented so I just kept going and I and I got to go to New York City I got accepted into this very competitive uh, school there for dance and I got accepted and I was 18 years old and I went over that bridge and I saw that city and I'm like the city is going to be mine you know finally they're going to know who I am finally I'm going to make something of myself finally I'm going to be somebody because for some reason I had such self-hatred going on my mom and dad never once told me you're a piece of crap I just bought that myself I just bought it myself and just drunk that down and that's what I was so I started my drinking and it was 1978 and it was the height of disco and it was New York City. Drinking age was 18 and the bars closed at four in the morning. Woohoo! It was fantastic. I got to go to all those discos, went to Studio 54, went to those places, went to CBGB's with the, you know, uh, paper clips. This was before piercings were like cool. They were like pierced, you guys, with safety pins like coming out of their eyes and like bloody. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. And, um, it was a trip. Anyway, and then at Studio 54, you know, it was quite a scene. And there were people doing things like right next to me. And I'm like, wow, OK, that's happening right there. All right. OK. It was quite an education, you know. And um, I used to love going down to Times Square. It was nothing like it is now. You know, there was no gap in Times Square. You know, it was seedy. It was dirty. It was scary and made my palms sweat. I just loved walking around there. You know, and the problem with me is, is that I really like the idea of being a badass, but I'm a coward. So I could never fully like, I wanted to be a biker, but I could never fully commit to it because I'm too scared to get on a bike, <laughs> right? But in my mind, I'm a badass, you know what I mean? So I always, I always love it when I see like the woman I sponsor come up on her Harley and I'm like, yeah, you're bad, you know? And so I would just hang out with people that would do bad things and be like, yeah, we did that. That was so great, you know? <laughs> Woo, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, I kept drinking, and I was drinking there a lot, and I, and I started doing other substances as well. Um, and women, you know what I'm talking about when you start, you know, my friends would go home, and then I'd go to the dive bars by myself. I'd go to the kind of bars where I would definitely be the only woman, if not the cutest, definitely the youngest, where I could get my bars, my drink spot, where I could be the belle of the ball. And it was really great when the guys would break out in a fight over me. That was really, really fun. Right, And then I'd wake up in the morning and I wouldn't know where I was and I'd be a little beat up and I, I'd have to go to ballet class at nine in the morning to this very competitive school where I knew they were gonna kick me out any second. And I knew it was a mistake and I knew I was a mistake. And I did that day in and day out, day in and day out and the fear was so great. It was so intense and the only way I could have that, kill that fear is knowing at the end of the day there was a drink. It's like, oh, and oblivion, like it talks about in the book, right? and oblivion. Um, the kind of stuff I did when I was drinking too is I would, my friends would go out looking for me, you know. Um, I've been a liar from when I was a little kid. <laughs> By the way, I wanna thank all the other speakers because we're all exactly alike. I love you, just because I love me, <laughs> yeah. But um, you, were, you, were, you really did a great job, thank you so much. But especially the lying, that's come up a lot. And um, uh, you know, I used to think that I lied because I was so scared and um, I think now I lie because I'm stingy. I think I lie because I don't want you to see me. 
because I don't want to take a risk. I don't want you to love me. I think I don't want to share myself. I want to hide from God. I'm stingy by nature. I'm, the world is this big for me with myself without you. And I've proved that over and over in sobriety. That's why I picked that first reading. As long as I don't, I draw a line in the sand, right? As long as I'm, am I ready? Am I ready to take the next step to get out of whatever I'm going through? I have to be ready, right? I have to be willing. I have to be willing to do whatever it takes so I don't draw that line in that sand and say, that's it, I'm out. Because it's easy to do, I've seen it. I've drawn that line, I just haven't stepped over it yet. Doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Um, I kept drinking and my friends auditioned and got in dance companies and I went to, back to California, I got a full ride scholarship at a prestigious university there uh, to do grad school and dance and I got injured and anyway, blah, blah, blah. The, at, the surgeon said, do you want to, um, do you want, I can do a PT or you can have surgery. I said, give me surgery. I didn't know at that moment I was giving up the only thing I ever wanted to do. I didn't, know, I didn't know that I was giving up a career in dance. I didn't know that I'd given up the only love I ever had so that I could drink every day. That's exactly what happened. I started drinking and I started drinking round the clock and um, I started drinking at home and you know, those, those um, I'd watch the, uh, I'd be drinking late at night and I'd watch the Tony Awards and I remember crying and thinking next year I'm gonna get my Tony that's gonna be me. Now next, I didn't sing. It's kind of a problem, like, you know. <laughs> you know, I was a dancer and I could act, but I didn't sing, but next year I was gonna win that Tony. You know, I mean, I was just out of my mind. You know, I was out of my mind and I, I stayed inside and I didn't know who I was anymore and I had one bartender friend, you know what I'm talking about, ladies. And um, one, you had one person and um, I went to the bar one night and I, I, I was gonna have two beers and, um, you know, I had started getting the shakes, and um, it, yeah, my hangovers were bad, and you know, different stuff come out of different places, and um, you know, going home with people, it was bad. And I woke up one morning, and um, it was not any different than any other morning, and I looked in the mirror, and I remember looking in the, right into my eyes, and there was nobody there. I didn't know who I was. I was a shell of a human being. And at that moment, I felt the presence of God. I, that's the best way I can describe it. I felt something. Now, my daddy had gone in and out of AA. And when he was in AA, he wouldn't drink. And then he'd not go and he'd drink. So somewhere in the dark recesses of my mind, I knew that if it ever got bad, I'd have to turn myself into AA. <laughs> so I also felt my dad that day. Was it hallucinating? I have no idea, could have been. But I felt the presence of my dad and I said, oh my God. So I called AA. I knew my life was over, I was 23 years old. It's over, done. But I don't wanna drink, I'm terrified. I just don't wanna drink and I don't know. I can't say that if it would have been the next day that would have happened. That was my moment. And I am so scared of losing that moment. Because you've given me a life that's Unbelievable. Um, so I called and this guy answers the phone. He's like, Alcoholics Anonymous. He's like so happy. <laughs> and I'm super annoyed. And um, I said, yeah, I need to go to a meeting. And 
are you an alcoholic? I go, yeah, I guess I think I am. Well, blah, 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 blah. And I put on 30 pounds and I'm like, <laughs> I'm a dancer, I can't gain 30 pounds. But at that moment, I didn't want to drink. You know what I mean? Then he asked if he could send somebody to pick me up. No, no, I got it from here, thank you. Like always, got it, I got it going on. And um, so I went to the meeting that night and um, I walk in and everybody's so happy and they're loud and it's a big meeting and it's in LA and you know they had the steps and traditions on the wall and I'm not gonna go through them all but I, I looked through all of those and I was just, I thought, you know, step one, I was like, well duh, I'm in AA. Of course it's yeah, brilliant people, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 was, it was very, very interesting. And this woman got up and she, she told my story. And I was like, she'd been an actress in New York City. And I was like, oh my God, shut up, you're embarrassing yourself. The stuff she said, but I didn't want her to stop because she was talking to my heart. It was the language of the heart. I couldn't believe somebody else had done the stuff I did. For the first time, I felt okay. And I knew I belonged here. I was pissed about it. It was nice that you called it a disease. I knew it made you feel better about yourselves. But let's face it, we're losers. We're sitting in AA. Really, you know? So I was leaving the meeting that night, and this woman was backing out her car, and she stops, and she comes running up. You know, newcomer, right? And um, I know that now. I didn't then, but, you know. And uh, she comes up and she goes, are you new? And I go, yes, and I just fall into her arms crying. And she said, are you, she said, are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? I said, yes. She said, are you willing to believe in a power greater than yourself? I said, yes. And she said, well, then you just might make it. And I gotta tell you, I'm so grateful that that's the first thing somebody said to me in Alcoholics Anonymous, because that is still all that matters. Talk about step six, step six, willingness to go to any length. Don't step over that line. Don't draw that line in the sand, Marilyn. Be willing. Am I ready? I gotta be ready. Step seven, there is a God. God can, I can't. That's all I have to know with my life. Any lengths and God can do it. I can't do my life without you, I've tried. It did not go well. I don't have what it takes to live in the world without you. I don't have what it takes to live in the world without a God of my understanding, that it's constantly changing. I, don't, I can't do it. Um, so anyway, I left that night and then I got a sponsor. She was annoying, she kept calling me and she was like married to this guy and they were Mr. and Mrs. AA and they were super old, like 40, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were so annoying, you guys. and. Um, she had me calling her every day, seemed excessive. And you know, I was the type of newcomer, because this is how I am, because I'm a kiss-ass, people-pleaser liar. Um, people would say, how are you? I'd be, I'm great. And inside, oh God, I hate that person so much. You know, so how are things? Oh, really good, really good. Oh, I hate this so much. This is so stupid, this AA thing. You know, and then, so we go start going through the steps, and then she says, We're, come on over and do step three. So we do step three, and we get on our knees, and we say that prayer, and it was kind of nice, right? And um, then she goes, what I want you to do is go home and get on your knees, and you're gonna, I want you to do this when you say the third step prayer. And I'm thinking, oh my God. <laughs> 
I'm like, okay, you know, and inside I'm like, oh my God, I hate this so much. Why am I doing this? But I just didn't want to drink, right? And she's like, you're a dancer, you're kinesthetic or something like that. I'm like, okay. You know, so I leave, I go home, I shut the door, you know, because God forbid my roommate with mono sees me, you know, she's in bed, in bed for three months, you know, <laughs> or worse, her cockatoo bird, <laughs> you know. Now, mind you, you know, I didn't mind trying to t turn gay men when I was in the gay bars, but this can't be seen doing that, right? <laughs> That's too much. So I get down on my knees and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a good girl, so I'm gonna do it. So I start praying, that's stupid. Next day, well, that's not too bad. And then I'm like, whoa, you know? And the reason I'm sharing that story with you is because you can tell by my nature how I'm defective because I don't know what's good for me. So my point being is that everything I think I hate or I'm gonna hate, I love. Everything that I go, no, that's wrong, I actually love in AA. You gotta do this, oh, stupid, hate it, hate it, hate her, them. Oh, I love them. I thought you hated them last week. Yeah, but no, I love them, right? This is my defective head. It's my defective thinking, right? And um, so, you know, I, I went on with the rest of my steps. I uh, met a guy in my first year. Yes, first year. We got married in our second year. We had a beautiful baby girl, blonde, of course. <laughs> Go figure. And um, we ended up moving to Missouri, and um, we moved there. It was, it's a long story, but we were in a small little town, and, you know, we moved from 1,400 meetings a week to six with the same people. <laughs> the same people. For three years, the same people. In middle Missouri, the same people. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, we moved there. I had five years of sobriety. And you know when you've, if you're in your five years and you've, like, um, sponsored, you've been of service, you know, you've done all this stuff, you know, you got it going on at five. You're peaking at five. Especially, especially if you've been a DCM. Just saying you're peaking. You go in with all the knowledge. Plus, you got the Southern California AA, you got it going on. You go in there, these people just did it all wrong. All wrong. They had Jesus hanging on the wall, for God's sakes. And we're like, Jesus has got to go. They're like, Jesus was donated to us. My ex says, well, can we donate a poster of Yoda? We thought that was hilarious. They did not. I would, go, I would go freak out because I was, you know, upset. I'd go tell my sponsor something. I'd go to a meeting that night, and they'd say, we hear Marilyn's having a problem with this. So let's have a, I'm like, oh, okay, that's how it rolls. It's a small town, okay. Okay, that's fine. And then, and it, it was a big job. I was pretty scared. It was a big job for me and, um, that I had there, and I was nervous and kind of freaked out and kind of self-obsessed. And... Um, <laughs> there was a guy at the meeting, so I, I was, at this particular time in my sobriety, about six years, I was starting to, need, the need to cuss a lot at meetings, and um, it just was flying out, I just had to, it just had to happen, and, um, but every time I would cuss at the meeting, this guy would say, I want to apologize to all the women in the room for the cursing, 
it's not, that's not the way we do this in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I'm like, you know, those cartoons with the shh coming out. And I'm thinking, I gotta cuss more now. It's just, it's game on. He apologizes, I cuss more. He apologizes, I cuss more. That's my defiance, you know? That's my defiance. And um, then he got one, he got a page. Uh, he got a page in the Daily Reflection. This guy got a page printed in the Daily Reflection. And he goes, do you want to know what one? I go, nope. He goes, well, I'm not going to tell you. I said, good. I'm, I don't want to know what, what it is. And so, you know, I didn't read the Daily Reflections. I didn't read the Daily Reflections. I was telling this story. And then one day, two years ago, I thought, you know what? There's that line. Maybe I'm ready. Maybe I'm going to read the Daily Reflections. I was like 34 and a half years sober. That's how spiritual I am. So now I'm enjoying the Daily Reflections. Doesn't matter to me what page is his. So, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It's interesting, right? When um, we ended up moving back here, and here's what I learned from being there in Missouri, was that those people put up with me. I was arrogant. I was defiant. I put them down. I made fun of them. I judged them. And those people loved me. Those people let, let me come to their meetings. They loved me. They told me to keep coming back, even George. And that's where I learned that I need you more than you need me. Those people kept me sober. They did have a little fun with me, though. They took me hunting once. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, anyway. Uh, when I was going through my first round of steps, there was a, um, my first sponsor I got, um, her name was Julie. She's the one that, you know, you know, was calling me every day, and she was very sweet. She ended up um, leaving AA to become a Buddhist, and um, she said to me, well, if you get this altar, you can get whatever you want. And I said, well, if you want me there and you're doing that, then that'll happen, you know. So I had to get a sponsor in AA, and I got a woman who, um, she was rough. She was from New York, and she'd, she shared, she was serious, man. She worked the steps. The first time I did the steps with Julie, and I did six and seven, it's two paragraphs. No big deal, got it? Yeah, it's not hard. Read, the, read it in the 12 and 12 with her. Yep, God, remove them all. Got down on my knees, did the seven-step prayer. Not a big deal. Thank God that one wasn't that hard. Four-step was horrible. Six and seven, nothing. Piece of cake. Got it. You know, I just wasn't quite ready for that one yet, right? I got Barbara to be my sponsor. She was, she was tough on me. And um, she had all these women that she sponsored, you know, and she had this woman, Jody, who was Miss Perfect. I hated her, and um, ugh, she was just so goody-goody. And so I had to figure out how to knock her down because she was the favorite, and I did eventually. It took me a few years, but I crawled my way up that ladder. Um, anyway, when I sat down with Barbara to do the first, the six and seven, she said, okay, we're going to sit down, and she made me list out my character defects, right? And I listed them all out, and then 
um, I got together with her, and, and she said, okay, and she taught me about PAGLES, pride, anger, guilt, greed, lust, envy, sloth. And that's what she said, PAGLES. And I don't know why she, it was guilt instead of gluttony. Maybe it was just personal because I was so, you know, you know, I was like one of those wallowing dogs, you know, like, love me, love me. You know, make me somebody, love me. Anyway, I was a wallower and um, self-pityer. And um, pride, anger, guilt, greed, lust, envy, sloth, paggles. And so she listed my character defects under those things. And then, because I was like people-pleasing, she's like, well, that's actually lying. I'm like, oh, okay, that's where I learned that. Oh, okay, people-pleasing is lying. That's a little disappointing. I thought it was a better thing than that. You know what I mean? It's looking good, at least I'm trying to please you. No, 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 that's called lying. It's like, oh, you know, stuff like that, you know, or I, don't, I can't really remember all of them now, but there was, you know, kind of fluffy ones, and she said, no, that's just pride. Oh, that's pride in reverse. So we got down to where it was just all my defects were pride or fear. And the, they could go in between either one. Like, if the pride was showing up, that's great, but it was really because of the fear. Or if the fear was showing up, it was because of pride in reverse, but that's under this column. They were kissing cousins, the pride and the fear. So she taught me about that, and that was really very, very helpful, right? It was very, very helpful for me. And um, then, then we you know, continued on, and we did step seven, and you know, I didn't really understand humility. I thought that, that sounded nice. I wasn't opposed to it. I just didn't quite get it, you know? And it's taken me a long, long time to kind of understand, it's the big gun. It's the big gun. It's the thing that keeps me here. It's the thing that keeps me alive, actually, is humility. I mean, without it, without it, I, I, uh -uh, I ain't got it. So, you know, anything I come up with today, any biggie, and I'll tell you about a few of them, any biggie I come up with, you know, I can't necessarily go right to my defect. I gotta go through the humiliation, humility path, then through the defect, you know? I mean, they're in, they, I mean the first time you do them, first few times you go through them in order for a reason. But after that, I'm like, bring me the humiliation and then we can start talking about the defect. You know, this is thick for me, it's thick, thick, thick. So, um, she, there was a woman that started, um, the Try God group, that's my home group too in Eugene is Try God. And the idea is that you've tried everything else, you might as well try God. So that was um, it, it's a group that was founded in, a, in LA by a woman named Jeannie. And Jeannie was an ex-starlet. And she wore her hair, like blonde hair and like ponytails with orange yarn. And she had um, gold nails out to there. And these were days where you still smoked in meetings and she had one of those things. And she'd be like, ah, hello, dear. <laughs> right? She was Barbara's sponsor. Her husband was Nick. And he was like this Vegas lounge lizard. And he had like black hair that went like this. And he wore his shirt open. And this was before manscaping. This was, so those of you that don't know, chest hair used to be hot. All right, that was considered hot at one time. He had all this chest hair and these gold things, and he'd walk in, hey, hey. And so the two of them walking in, I'm like, oh yeah, bring me some of that, you know? It would, they were just fantastic. But Jeannie was the kind of old timer that would look down into your soul, into your eyes, and plop down in your gut. 
So I was like, mm, maybe back away from Jeannie a little bit, right? And she sponsored all these women, and these were the women, right? These were the women. You guys know I'm talking about you're new, and there's the women. So this was, she were, they were the women. They, they would massage each other at meetings, and they were all lovey-dovey, and they were all clicky, and I'm like, I hate you all, and I just, ugh. And they would talk about, you know, crying and getting on Jeannie's bed and crying. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm in hell. But inside, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Good. Yay. You know, because I'm lying. And um, you got to watch out for the, you got to watch out for the ones that are really nice. I'm telling you, they'll get you when you aren't looking. Um, so. So one time, Barbara says, uh, we do another four step. She goes, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to send you to Jeannie. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I go to Jeannie's house, and I mean, Jeannie was scary, right? And so she opens the door, hello there, come on in, you know? And we go into her bedroom, of course, right? She sits on the bed, I sit against the wall, and I'm like, I'm not getting on that damn bed. <laughs> That's all, I, all I'm thinking about, right? And she's intimidating, and I'm thinking, why? And it's like, I just don't want to drink today, right? <laughs> so she's sitting there. I'm reading away. <sighs> nothing. I'm like, no feedback, nothing. Nope. <sighs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, you know? So I get done and there's <sighs> Who's that, Marilyn? I go, that's my four step. And you guys, it was a good four step. It was good. She goes, no. That Marilyn's too goody good. I want the little shit. And I look at her. <sighs> she says to me, I don't love you because you're good. I love you because you're a little shit. <laughs> she goes, your little shit and my little shit love each other. <laughs> and you guys, nobody had ever loved me for that person who was glad the bike was stolen. <laughs> nobody had ever loved me for that person. And I hopped on that bed and I cried my eyes out. <laughs> I did. I did. The woman saved my life. And from there, you see, I could take the seventh step prayer because I couldn't give God all the bad. It was bad. How could God see it? I didn't even want to see it. Yeah, I knew it was there, but I wanted it gone. I didn't understand that my defects were assets. I didn't understand that my defects were going to make me be able to relate to you. I didn't understand that someday I'd be standing up here, being able to say, I love your little shit too. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <sighs> Woman was amazing. Those old timers that I'm now one of. <laughs> Jesus. This <laughs> anyway, they saved my life. I owe them everything. And that's another reason why I'm still here, to pay my dues. But the truth is, is that I still really need to be here, <laughs> right? Um, uh, we ended up, we moved back to uh, Eugene. We moved to Eugene, and I started getting real involved with my daughter's stuff. She did competitive sports. So thus, I was doing competitive sports because <laughs> I'm a wee competitive. And um, 
little by little, I started going to fewer meetings. Pretty soon, I was going to one meeting a week, and it was a check-in meeting. You know, check-in, see how you're doing this week, you know. And I was still sponsoring, but little by little, the love of Alcoholics Anonymous started to leave my soul. And little by little, and it did not happen quickly, it happened slowly, I started going crazy from the inside out. And at 15 years of sobriety, I was not well. It was not looking good. Here's what happened. I was paranoid. I hated you. All the blonde women I started to hate again. Everybody who was better than me, which was all of you. Because let's not be fooled, even though I had this pride in reverse and felt like nothing, the truth deep down with me, I want to be better than you. I don't want to be better than you to feel equal. I want to be better than you. That's my nature. You know, that's how I am. I don't want a God. I don't want you. I'm stingy. I want me. And what happens when I want me is that I can't live in the world because you are all bad. I'm okay. You're not. You know, you suck. <laughs> so I called up this woman and I got a new sponsor louder than my head. She lives in LA. And um, it's important that you have a sponsor louder than your head and one you're a little scared of. Not a lot of scared of, just a little. One that you respect, that you want to be good for, you know? Not like, <laughs> love me, but that you want them to go, yeah, you're doing a good job. Yay, I'm doing a good job. I need that. Maybe you don't. I need that. I need a sponsor that, that I respect. Um, so I got busy. And, um, you know, uh, I, end, I yeah, got busy in AA. We started the Try God group. Um, that husband that I was married to ended up giving, getting a liver transplant, and it was really, really an intense time. And um, all of you were there. All of you showed up and were there for us. And then a few years after that, we ended up divorcing. And that was really tough because, and, you know, half, half my Eugene Towns here, so you all saw that. Um, that was rough. Um, it was, uh, you know, we were Mr. and Mrs. AA. I set out to be Mr. and Mrs. AA early on. You know, that's what people did. I was going to be on that track. I was Mr. and Mrs. AA. We were going to do that thing together. You know, our kid never saw us drink, blah, blah, blah. Set that out. And, you know, it, it started falling apart pretty early on. But, you know, I tried. We, we really tried. And we ended up having a really sweet divorce at the moment. We took the rings off each other's finger. We did the Marianne Williamson thing. You know, we did that. It was really great until mm, a couple weeks later, right? <laughs> but my sponsor wouldn't leave me, let me leave the home group. Super annoying. She wouldn't let me leave it. It's still my home group. Luckily, he left later um, because he said God left the room. And um, so anyway, it's still my home group, and it's fantastic. And um, I made it through that, and that was sheer willingness to do what my sponsor said. Because the truth is, is that I, if I do what I want, I end up weak. I don't end up strong, I end up weak. I weaken myself. That's annoying, because I wanna be strong, and I wanna be able to power it myself, but I end up weak. So it's better for me to have a sponsor, people I check in with, um, it's good. During that time, um, 
During that time of that surgery, uh, we left our daughter with a, fr a close friend of ours, and she was 15. And this was a weird time, you know, because my dad was, you know, dying at that age of cirrhosis, and now her dad's dying of cirrhosis. It was really strange. It was really weird. In fact, <laughs> I remember he was in a coma, and I called Tim, and I said, Tim, he's in a coma. We got to put him in the car. And he's like, no, call 911. I'm like, oh, you know, because we just used to put my dad in the Monte Carlo and take him to the hospital, you know? And Tim's like, no, call 911. I'll be right over. But, oh, okay. I'm like, that's right. Call 911. And then, like, three weeks later, Tim, he's in a coma. We got to put him in the car. He's like, no, call 911. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'll forever be grateful for that. People were there for us. But we left our daughter with these people, and many years later, many years later, um, through a weird conversation I had with her, I found out that she had, um, they had done horrible things to her, right? Horrible things to her. She was 15. And um, the whole world went dark, and it was really, really a bad time. I was so pissed at God. Now, being pissed at God was something I had kind of played with for most of my sobriety because I still had this deep resentment also because I, I tried so hard with things and why, did, why was I so effed up? Why would God give me all of this ambition, talent, all this drive and why was I so effed up that I couldn't do anything? Why was I so effed up that I was a loser in Alcoholics Anonymous? It took me 15 years of sobriety, you guys, to feel okay about being an alcoholic. So if you're out there feeling that, it's okay. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. So I found this out about my kid, and I was pissed at God. The world went dark. How was I ever going to trust anybody in these rooms again? I don't know. How was I going to trust anybody? It's like, it's over, game over as far as I'm concerned. There's that line, right? This line was right here, and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I know. I know that if I do something, I'm going to end up in jail, and actually, this was other people told me this. I didn't know this. Other people said, if you do something stupid, you're going to end up in jail, and you're not going to help your daughter or, or anybody. And I thought, well, I'll hire somebody. You're going to end up in jail. <laughs> you know, it, I'm, I've watched these shows. You know, you get the right people. You know, I know I don't really have what it takes, so we'll just figure out somebody who's smarter than me to do it. You know, and I knew where he was. He lived in town. And I promised my sponsor, I promised, promised my partner that I wouldn't do a drive-by. Oh, it was so hard. It was so hard. It was consuming. I was up every night, super late, stalking him on the computer, right? I was just enraged and insane and, you know, justice, man. Justice. And that is a valid resentment. That's valid. I don't care what you say. It's valid. I'm allowed that. So it went on for quite a while. And... um. It was around this time that Dead Man Walking, the opera, came to Eugene. And I was seeing these posters all over downtown where I worked. Dead Man Walking. I'm like, yeah, cut it off, kill him. I'm like, no, no, yeah, cut it off, kill him. I don't care. And um, one day, um, this woman called me. She was one of my sister's sponsees. And she's these two women that Sharon sponsored. One lived in North Carolina. One lived in Cambridge. And they were in town for two days to watch to see this opera. I mean, two days, right? We had one time that we could get together. They said, let's have breakfast. I had cancellations that morning. I could do it. I never have this time open, ever, ever, ever. 
And I thought to myself, an oasis. Drinkers are like that, right? An oasis. I can go here and just be free. So I went to the, I thought this will be perfect. And I went there and I had, had breakfast, right? And it's a nice buffet breakfast and um, we're talking and just chit-chatting. So what brings you to town? Oh, the opera. I'm like, oh, really? Are you a singer? No. Um, I just came with her because she's working on it. I said, well, what do you do in it? She said, well, I, I represent it because I'm an attorney. And I said, oh, really? For what? She goes, I'm, a, I'm an attorney for people on death row. And I go, what? She goes, I defend people on death row. And this like lump goes from here down to my stomach. And I lean in and I go, how can you do that? And she goes, what? I go, how can you do that? And she leans into me. And I go, no, really, how can you do that? She goes, how can I defend people on death row? And I go, yeah. And now I'm pissed, right? I'm starting to get pissed. And she leans into me and she goes, because Marilyn, every human, every human being is worthy of redemption. And I was like, ugh. Oh my God. You know, I'm like, really? And then Robin says, what's going on? And I tell them the story, and they go, you know what this is, don't you? And I go, I do, I know, I know, I know. They said, it's just a resentment. I'm like, it's not a resentment. They said, it's a resentment. You got to pray for him. I'm like, I don't want to pray for him. I know. It's just a resentment. There's the line, you guys. I was close to that line. Stone cold sober for a valid reason. Half measures, though, right? My various and sundry, sundry ideas of what will get me by through learning, and God showed up for me. And I, I, I actually fully have forgiven this person. And it wasn't me. And people said, you don't have to forgive the person, forgive the act. And deep down, I knew I had to do it all. It's like, I got to do it all. God, it's all or nothing, right? God, God either is or isn't. And what happened with that, because for some reason, I was willing to go to any length, and God broke into me that day and softened that spirit of mine just a bit to say you're going to be okay and it's okay. You know, and if I could take it away from her, I would in a heartbeat, but I wouldn't take that experience away from me because I've learned how to be so much more loving and compassionate. It's bizarre. You see, the problem is, like I said earlier, I don't know what, what's good and bad for me. Of course, that's not a good situation. But look how it turns out. Look how God uses those things for us. I just don't want to draw a line in the sand, right? So there's big things. And it talked about in that reading about, you know, that, that amount of humility that I have to have. And I, don't, I can't even say that it's mine. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be humble now. It, it, it's a gift. It's a gift, right? That amount of humiliation sometimes that I have to go through before I get humble is painful, like it talks about, right? The truth is, is that I'm a whole person. I have defects. I have good parts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm okay. I'm a beautiful child of God. We're beautiful children. And um, as long as I'm willing to stay in the game, that's all that matters. I don't know what's best for me. I don't really know what's best for you, you know? Um, I, uh, 
had an interesting conversation in the car a few weeks ago with my partner. And we, I was talking about this stuff, and, and I said, yeah, well, it's just something about defects. And she said, that's because you don't have the assets. And I was like, what? You have to have the assets in order to understand the defects. And I was like, oh. And I said, well, what about original sin? And she says, what's that? And I'm, so I explained it to her. She goes, well, I don't still believe in that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was raised Catholic, right? And I'm like, what? I just don't believe in that. I don't believe God's like that. And I thought, whoa. This was a few weeks ago, you guys. <laughs> I thought, wow, what if I wouldn't have had that in my head ever? I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. I'm just saying, what if I believe differently? What if I'm ready to see a new view? That's what it's about, the readiness, right? Am I ready? And I believe that I have to, I, I, I hate to use this word, but it says it in the reading. I believe I have to work towards perfection. I believe I have to keep striving. Not only that, I want to keep striving. That's the weird thing. I want to keep striving, right? I had a, um, a situation <laughs> a couple weeks ago with some corn on the cob. I'll finish with this. <laughs> so I got some beautiful corn on the cob at Farmer's Market. Went downtown to get it. Beautiful, you know, fresh. I, I have one piece, right, because um, we kind of eat separately, my partner and I, so I was like, maybe she'd like some. So I said, would you like some corn on the cob? Well, that sounds great. So you know how corn on the cob is, right? So I cut it in half, and I'm looking at it, and you know, there's a good part. <laughs> and there's not a good part. Ooh. Shouldn't be that tough. But there I am, in all my glory of 36 years, <laughs> debating which side of the corn to give her. <laughs> and then I go, God, show up. God gives me the ability to give her the good corn. Then we have these little, because we cohabitated our stuff two years ago. Then we have the little things, you know, like the things that you put on the corn on the cob. Well, mine are round and hers are flat. Mine are superior. <laughs> so... <laughs> She doesn't know this part. So, so I, um, I give her the round ones. I thought, oh, look at God doing for me what I can't do for myself. I'm so spiritual. And I'm feeling all good about myself. And I go out there and I'm thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. And I go out there and I, and I know not to do this. I know not to do this. And I go, look at I gave you the big half. <laughs> and I go, and I know that if I was really spiritual, I wouldn't have to tell you that. And she goes, that's right, as long as you know that. I go, I know that, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> so, right? So then the next week, I get the corn, cut it up. I'm like, that worked well last week. <laughs> but this week, I'm gonna give her the inferior side ones. Because you know, I gave her all last time, now it's my turn. Mm. So I go do that. <laughs> so I know I'm coming to talk here. 
So last uh, Thursday night, I said, would you like some corn? She says, yes. Well, this time I bought two ears. <laughs> right? I'm learning. I'm learning. And I'm thinking, you're going to talk. You're going to talk tomorrow. Choose wisely, because guess what? One's bigger than the other. <laughs> See what I'm working with? I know I'm not alone here. You guys know, right? So I'm thinking, okay, I've got to go be spiritual. Well, she has a little bit of a tummy problem, so I'm going to give her the smaller one. <laughs> That's how I justified that write-up, you guys, and I did it. I gave her the smaller one. You didn't know that either. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here's the thing is she's a better person than I am. She loves me anyway, which is amazing, right? Um, so that's, you know, there's big things this works for and there's little things this works for. And the truth of the matter is, is that I am a whole, beautiful, strong, wonderful, defected out, perfect human because of you guys. And I just want to stay in the game with you, you know? I just want to stay in the game. Um, I have here um, a seven-step prayer that my sponsor said I should share with you. and. Um, I normally wouldn't do it, but it's a, a women's conference, and um, I, I think, you know what, I'm just not comfortable with it. If you'd like to take a copy of it, I di I'm doing it because my sponsor told me to, but I'm not feeling like I want to go through it because I'm embarrassed. I don't know why, because I'm stingy. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm stingy. Okay. Okay. So, I have, she, I have to. Oh, God. I, oh. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Can't say no to that, right? See, that's my first sponsor right there. Isn't, that's, what come, that's what happens, right? So um, anyway, I have to do this at, at her retreat. I, I get to do this. Um, sorry. I get to do this. <laughs> I get to do this. Uh, she asked me to do this med meditation after um, somebody very dear used to do it. And um, she passed, and then I, because I was with her one time, now it's mine. <laughs> you know, you can tell I'm super spiritual, so I'm the right person for that. But nonetheless, um, so I did this on the seven-step prayer. And the, some of you are new. Oh, I forgot to tell you, too, those of you that are new, sobriety is so worth it. It is so worth it, you guys. Every second, every, it is so cool to be alive in the world. Um, right? Um, so the seventh step prayer goes, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. So and that's on page 76 um, in the big book. And so um, I just kind of broke it down a little bit where I started with, and this is sometimes how I will say my prayers because, you know, you get it by rote. You know, we've been doing it for a while. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could just say that over and over, and it just, shh. So I, if I really take it line by line, and I start with my creator, and so that's like the God of my understanding, and that's just today. You know what I mean? When I got sober, the God of my understanding, my first God was the um, fairy godmother from the original um, Cinderella. 
black, you know, that the cartoon, I was going to get it tattooed on my rear end. And my sponsor said, no, you might want to hold off on that. <laughs> Thank God, because I'd be covered, you know what I mean? I don't know why my rear end either. That just says a lot too, but... So the God of my understanding, and that develops and changes where I'm at that day, where I'm at that week, what, what, where I'm at that, you know what I mean, wh where I'm at. Um, that's the beautiful thing is we get to explore here, right? So my creator, what is that? It's cool, right? Um, I am now willing, and that means to me at this present moment, I'm truly able to give you my will. I am now willing to give you my will. I am now willing. I am ready. Am I ready? I am ready that you should have all of me. And so this is what I think is kind of funny. I'm now willing that you should have all of me. But really, I was yours all along. I'm now willing you should have all of me. Whether I think it or not, I still am. You know what I mean? It's cool. And I thank you for the time you gave me to get to that place. You know, that God is gentle with me. God is gentle. I just needed that amount of time to agree to it. The good and the bad. Um, I talked about this a little earlier, but that, that God's love gives me the ability to accept all that about me and all that about you. I pray that you now remove from me. Because of your love, I can ask for renewal and trust the process. I can trust the process. So every time that I am asking to be something to be remo removed, something's being renewed, not something being ripped out and I'm going to have a gouging, you know, bloody center with nothing going on. God fills that. Um, every single defect of character, giving you each piece of my soul, my ideas of self, my judgments of others and my needs, which stands in the way I will no longer yearn for the seeming identity for personal power, um, for personal, what, which personal power produces. Because, you know, I like that personal power thing a lot. You could tell, right? So I'm constantly having to think that this identity, you know, it's like it's, it's a construct. <sighs> which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. I know I have no idea what that really is to be useful, but I'm going to trust God knows. Grant me strength. Without you, I choose poorly and weaken myself. Grant me strength because I will choose. Eventually, I think that it's going on. I know what's good. I know what's right for me, especially after you have some time. It's feeling right. You got it in my gut. But eventually, I will weaken myself with my choices. Um, I trust in God's strength. As I go out from here, leaving the old life behind and moving into the new life and into the unknown without, without, with God's help, without me. To do your bidding, I'm done. Your choice is best. Amen. Truth, certainty, and so be it. So that's just how I've, I've broken that down. I have copies up here if you'd like to take one. It's just my own little ditty with it, you know. So um, I just am very, very grateful. I think I'm out of time. We have went over one minute. Jeez, that's embarrassing. All right. Um, thank you so much, you guys.
Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Sheila S. Um, I'm an alcoholic. And um, it's great to be here. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than here with you. Uh, my sobriety date is 12-1705, and I am home group less right now. Uh, my home group for the en my entire sobriety was West Portland group. We meet on Tuesday and Friday and Saturday night on Southwest Vermont and Portland. You're more than welcome. I miss it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the first AA meeting I went to, and I feel like I hit the jackpot. And if you don't feel that way about your home group, I suggest you get another one. Um, I love it. Um, it's my kind of AA. Um, I moved to Camas with my son. I moved house about six weeks ago. So um, I really related to, the, to Maryland's Missouri story. Um, they're just not doing it right over there in Camas. Um, <clears throat> don't you know? But luckily I know because of good strong sponsorship, the principles of AA and traditions and the steps that I work on a daily basis, that I know how to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous now. I know how to go to an AA meeting everywhere, anywhere in the world. Um, and take my seat and share my experience, strength, and hope with the men and women in that meeting, and hopefully God can use me. I know that now. If I would have made this move, I mean, even like, well, definitely in year five when I was on fire. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I'm still on fire for AA. It's a little bit diluted. Um, but if I would have made that move then, oh my gosh, I would have been caused so much wreckage, right? I know this, I know that, don't you know? Um, but it has been it was shared earlier, you know, the, um, the, the lovely men and women of that community are embracing me with open arms um, as another, just another drunk on the bus, trying to take it one day at a time. For that, I'm grateful. I would really like to thank um, Amy and Dylan and the whole, the whole committee for inviting me. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to participate in my sobriety. It really is. I am overpaid in AA. Overpaid. I mean, here I am. I get a free hotel room. Um, there's a gift basket. Um, um, with little chocolates and um, what else was in there? Oh, some uh, Dr. Zoo stuff, which my son will love. And, um, you know, it really is an honor. So thank you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, you know, my, one of my sponsors told me when my phone stops ringing or when people stop asking me to be of service, then I'm in trouble. You know, um, I mean, I probably was in trouble long before that started happening. But so far, that hasn't happened to me yet. Um, I definitely know that Terry needs this wherever she may be, the yoga mat. So, so I, I mean, you know, I, I drive around with a car full of yoga mats, so if you ever, yeah. There you go, Terry. Um, I also want to, oh, and I mean, I, the speaker is before me. I mean, I, I, um, I feel like the, a baby and a newcomer up here. I mean, I, I'm just honored to be standing at the podium, you know, coming after um, some women that I've known my whole sobriety. Um, Tina, I understand that rocking out to ACDC, I want to say that you can do ACDC sober still. I mean, you can, do, you know, you don't have to be, you know, active in your disease. Um, and I did lots of driving um, up and down 84 with one hand on my eye, so I relate to that. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Terry, you know, thank you. I've known Terry my whole sobriety too. I mean, these women are just like pillars to me. Um, Marilyn is my grand sponsor. Um, Kirsten is my sponsor in Vancouver. And before that, I was sponsored by Chris Clark. Um, and so I, you know, throughout my whole sobriety, I've, I've 
sought out people to sponsor me that I know that one, I know that they have the power of God, you know, however they define God, uh, running through their veins from the steps in the book. And two, um, that their, their head is going to be bigger than mine, you know, um, among some uh, continuum of being able to tell me the truth. Um, you know, in this point in my sobriety, you know, I'm seeking the truth, and sometimes it's delivered nicely, and sometimes it's not, and that's okay. Um, congratulations to anyone who's here for the very first, you know, few AA experiences. Um, what a way to start AA. I mean, really, oh my gosh, you know, you hit the jackpot. Um, you know, I know that for me, if my phone rings and another member of Alcoholics Anonymous asks for help, that if I can help, I will help. A man, woman, you know, anyone I like. I don't like everybody in AA, nor should I. Um, but if anybody asks for help, I will help them. You know, and that's part of what I, you know, I've been brought up to do in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So I've been asked to talk about step eight and nine, um, you know, and share my experience, strength, and hope on the on those steps. Um, I I will qualify a little bit because it sounds like that's what we're you know doing also. Um, you know, I I did not come. I wasn't born into an alcoholic home. You know, I was well loved as a child. You know, um, I was blonde. Sorry. <laughs> this is not <laughs> This is not real though. <laughs> I always say it doesn't even matter. I'm totally totally digressing, but I'm really a brunette on the inside. I really am. <clears throat> I I got everything I wanted when I was growing up. Toys, horses, love, all of it. You know, I had a good, um, I can't blame any of my alcoholism or my neurosis or my character defects, defecting out every day. I love that um, on my parents or my circumstances still to this day. Um, <clears throat> you know, I definitely was a weird kid. Um, I know that now. You know, I definitely was one of the weirdos. Um, but that doesn't make me an alcoholic, you know. Um, when I was almost 12, my mom died of breast cancer pretty suddenly. You know, that was a bummer. <laughs> doesn't make me an alcoholic. It makes me a motherless woman, motherless daughter, right? My dad, um, after my mom died, got married pretty quickly. You know, he had two little kids. What was he going to do? I understand that now. So he got married again. You know, he needed help. Um, <clears throat> I do know that for me, and I hear this often, you know, with men and women, alcoholics in general, you know, I, I, um, I had in my mind, uh, you know, I had a keen sense of uh, perceiving what I thought was going on in reality. You know, and I'll give you an example. You know, I used to stay home from school um, early on before my mom got sick. And, um, you know, my mom and dad probably had just a regular, you know, we lived in Redmond and grew up, you know, in the cul-de-sac and had two cars and went on family vacations. They were both social workers. But I didn't quite, I really wasn't quite seeing the love in their, in their marriage. You know what I'm saying? Nothing, you know, untold. But 
I would stay home from school and I'd be like, Mom, God, you know, are you really happy? Like, you know, you should just like divorce dad. And she'd be like, uh, you got to get back to school. You know, <laughs> you're not sick. See you later. Or I would, um, you know, we would take uh, the monorail from Red, we would take the train in from Redmond to downtown Seattle and take the monorail around and go shopping during the Christmas and and I would make up these stories like if I saw like this one time I saw this um, <clears throat> I saw this man during the holidays buying sheets or towels or something and I was standing with my mom like at the Bon Marche or something and and uh, I made up this whole story about how. He was alone, and you know he was going to die alone. And I, I just, I, you know, I started crying. And I wanted to go talk to him. I was dragging my mom, and you know, who's a social worker. I'm like, you know, mom, we got to do something. You know, I was just highly. Um, I mean, I was restless, irritable, discontent, but it was just like I was tuned a little too much, tuned up a little bit too much. You know, I know that now. You know, I know, I kind of know, I know, I, I, I know, and that's, I mean, still, that hasn't gone away, of course. Um, but I know, I know what I was needing. I know what I was seeking. I know that, um, I know that when I was getting, you know, straight A's and winning all the ribbons of the horse shows and, and, and trying to, um, get to, invited to all the birthday parties and, you know, being crushed when the girl across the street didn't like me. Um, I know now that I was seeking relief. I was seeking relief and I was seeking a connection to God, to some kind of power that I didn't have inside of me. I know that now. <clears throat> I sailed through high school without getting drunk. I have no idea how I did that. But it's just my story. I was really busy. <laughs> I did a lot of sports, got good grades. <clears throat> As a cheerleader, you can hate me now. Um, <laughs> I really needed relief. I know that now. I know that now. I did. I needed to find my people. <clears throat> And then I did in college. Um, my freshman year in college up at uh, Western Washington University in Bellingham, I was um, by myself in the library on a Friday night with all the other weirdos. I didn't have any friends. Um, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to make friends with you. Um, oh, there's Terry. You missed your yoga mat. <laughs> Um, I'll give it to you later. Don't steal it, though. Um, <clears throat> I had, you know, it talks about in our textbook, I had an inability connect with, to connect with another person. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know, I was pretty well, I mean, I'm not like a total schmuck. I mean, I had lots of friends and people like me. I'm an extrovert. I like you. I want to be with you. But I couldn't figure it out, right? <clears throat> so here I was in the library Friday night by myself, freshman year in college, thinking, really? I mean, oh my god, what is wrong with me? And 
you know, I didn't know. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, it took me a while. I didn't know what was wrong with me until I got to you guys at 37. <clears throat> so, you know, I was primed. I was just primed. I was, I was primed for a big, long drink. And I was really primed to connect, you know. And so I was walking home from the library, and I was walking across Red Square in Bellingham with my, my <laughs> backpack thing. And um, I was living in the, the Fairhaven dorms, the Fairhaven dorms up there. And I saw in, in, I saw in like the dorm window these women, um, Cheryl, Stacy, and Leslie. Cheryl, Stacy, and Leslie rocking out. So it was the 80s. So it was like the cure and they were just rocking out going crazy. And they were jumping up and down on the dorm or their dorm bed or their dorm beds, you know. And I was like, oh my God. Well, whatever's going on, whatever, I don't even know who these people are, but they're I mean I'm going. I'm in, you know. It was my walk across to the baseball diamond like Terry talked about. And so I, I knocked on their door and I said, whatever you guys are doing, I want to do it. And they said, girl, this is what we're doing, you know. And um, so I proceeded to get my first good drunk on. And it was um, Southern Comfort and Orange Crush. <laughs> Lots of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, you know, and I didn't know. I was 23 or something, 22. No idea. I just thought, yeah, cool. This is the next thing we're doing. Horses, cheerleaders, southern covered orange truck. That was it. And, you know, and I'm still friends with those girls. They all have, like, you know, you know, two-bedroom houses in California with three kids and 2.5 family. I mean, they're all, like, they're not alcoholics, basically. I drink, I didn't know at the time, I drank alcoholically from the gate. Like, I drank as much as I could all through my first degree um, and all through my next two degrees. Um, I did. I drank through my bachelor's, my master's, and my educational specialist degree, don't you know, in counseling. Um, I drank, <laughs> I loved it. My God. As an aside, I remember when I met my ex-husband, my, my dad's son's sister, ex-sister-in-law, we went out for a dinner and I was like, I think I, I had like six years of sobriety. I'm like, oh God, I just loved partying. I was just, I mean, God, wasn't it great, you know, like in college? And it was just like, and she goes, wow, you really sounded like you, like you kind of missed those days. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't, I mean, sure. Anyway, no, not really. It wasn't that fun. Oh my God, this is like sober, right? To watch. So <clears throat> all through those three college degrees, when you know, I pick up a drink, I mean, first it was started in my head. I would, I would say, oh, okay, you know, you're only going to have three glasses of wine after that class today. Just go, to, go to the bar. I was in Georgia. Go to the bar, have three glasses of wine, go home, do your seminar work, make some spaghetti. Be a, be a normal person, right? Of course, right? Because you are a normal person, aren't you? Of course, I'm a normal person. Go to the bar, three glasses of wine, couple orange crust and chill and comfort, just for good measure. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm making out with everybody in the bar, whoever, doesn't matter. Um, lose most of my clothes, don't know how I got home. You know, homework didn't get done. 
<clears throat> so on and so forth. And this is like, I got to you at 37 in 2005. This was like 91. So I drink like that, and it was the same. You know, I was like, what am I, you know, I put my clothes, I go to my class, you know, and then after I graduated and got my counseling license, I would go to my office, make a lot of money counseling you, all my degrees on the wall. Still didn't know how to have a relationship with another person. Still needed relief. Still needed to connect. And I would go home, this is in Portland, you know, after I graduated, licensed, all well, everything, set up shop. I looked about the same, but you blonder. <laughs> I would see my last client, and I would be watching the clock, you know, or the therapist, you know, we have our clocks. And I would, I would start the mental, I would start the mental obsession and the mental negotiation about how I was gonna get through that night sober, or how I was just gonna drink like a lady. You know, being the person and be the person my parents raised me to be. That's all I wanted. And my grandparents and my aunts and the people that loved me. To put, I wanted to put into action what had been taught to me. And I wasn't able to do that. Same thing, last client leaves, I hit the wine, and then I'm cruising all over Portland, looking for friends, looking to connect, and looking for relief. But I didn't know that then. <clears throat> so let me fast forward um, a few years of that. Um, I, uh, I ended up moving out into the gorge, um, into, into Hood River particularly, actually. Um, you know, met a man, psychiatrist, perfect combination. Um, <clears throat> he was very generous with his prescription pad, outside issue, but I loved that. <laughs> loved that. <clears throat> And I just started in that cycle again, you know, out in, in Hood River. Different town, same behavior. Private practice office, opened a yoga studio. <laughs> Thought if I did more yoga, maybe I wouldn't drink at night. Didn't matter, I got drunk anyway. My, one of my yoga tra trainings was in, in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, true alcoholic. It was three months long, and it was a Bikram training, so it was pretty intense. Actually, it was. And uh, this was uh, in 2000. I got to you in 2005. And I moved down there and lived off of Melrose, and I was doing yoga all day, meditating you know, with some you know, gurus. You know. Didn't drink, 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 didn't drink. One night, the first, the only night that me and, and my yogi friends decided to celebrate or something, we went to the Ivy in Santa Monica, and I had, I had um, 
I didn't have Orange Crush. I had graduated. I had a fancy, what did I have? Oh yeah, it was a vodka, vodka tonic with like a mint in it. I mean, I know this now, right? Alcohol in my body, obsession, and craving. It was on, you know. An hour later, we're, I don't even know where we are in Los Angeles, and my friends are all like, we gotta go, you know. We have to, we have to be on the mat at nine o'clock in the morning. Like, what do you, you know, in La Cienega? And I was like, no human power, no human power could have saved me that night. And, uh, you know, I, I waltzed into some bar there and made a bunch of friends and ended up in the Hollywood Hills, you know, along with a bunch of my new friends and got back to the yoga training the next day. Um, like, hey, God, you guys, what's the big deal? I didn't know anything about alcoholism. You know, I thought that every time I picked up a drink, I was making a decision to drink, particularly if I made a decision to drink the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. I thought I was making decisions because I'm smart, supposedly, in my head. <coughs> While I was out in Hood River, um, I got married for the first time. Um, I, I love men. I don't have any man, ha men hang-ups. I'm always the problem. Um, I attract really great men. Poor guy, pre-Alanon guy. Andreas, we're still friends. And, um, you know, I was drinking like a fish, you know. Uh, I started not coming home at night, doing all the things that we do. My story is not unique and it's not new. Um, we went to therapy. Um, he wanted to have children. I said, Are you crazy? I have too much work to do. I'm a very important psychologist, don't you know? Well, now I know that I just wanted to drink. I just wanted things my way. I just wanted to be free. Andreas left me, as he should have. That was, I don't know, maybe 2001. He had had enough of me. Uh, Hood River is a small town. As I said before, I like to make out with everybody in the bar. So that didn't go over very well. <clears throat> so after that marriage ended, um, I could drink how I wanted, you know, I could, I, um, I tried to hold off every day because if you drink during, you know, if you drink while it's still like even sunny in the morning, you got probably have a problem. So I would just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, you know, and I also uh, made sure that I had a lot of outside issues to take during the day to keep me till I could get to my alcohol. I, I uh, did a lot of breaking and entering into homes in Hood River during the day to get what I needed out of medicine cabinets. Those were good amends, speaking of step nine. So the year before I got to you, which was 2004, I was, um, you know, three college degrees, raised well, la, 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 you know. Um, homeless, uh, friendless, and close to penniless. And as our book talks about there, I, I, 
I had no, I didn't know what to do. I had nowhere, I had nowhere to turn. I didn't know what was wrong with me. <clears throat> and I had gone to my physician with this big list of stuff, you know, and, um, you know, she said, you know, you might have a problem with alcohol. And, I don't know, I'm drinking like maybe six beers a day. You know, I wasn't, I was lying, of course, I was lying. <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't have known the truth if it whacked me with a two by four then. Um, and I, you know, what happened for me is that I drove into Portland to teach a yoga class, and I had a seizure, and I passed out uh, before the class at some coffee shop. Boom, just flat. Medics came, fire department, so on and so forth. I got my yoga outfit on. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm good. Nope, I don't need, nope, mm -mm, I got it. I'm good. Nope, don't need, you guys, see you later, you can go. There's fine, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, and then I proceeded to go to that yoga studio. And at that point, the owner at that yoga studio said, you know, you're a really sick woman. You're really sick. And you need help. And get the out of my yoga studio. And so I did. I left. And I sat in my car down in Southwest Hood, if we were in Portland. And... Uh, you know, I made that call that some of you may have made, you know, and I asked somebody for help, you know, which I had never done, ever, you know. Like, really, we need help. Not like, oh, you come help me with my couch or you help me with this relationship. But, you know, I called, I actually called my brother in Seattle. I said, hey, you know, there's something really wrong with me. And he's like, yeah. He goes, are you, he's like, are you drinking a lot or something? I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yes. And then I made the second call was to my supervisor. I was still working as a mental health consultant at Providence, believe it or not, carrying a pager. And um, David Wade, and I can say his name, it's okay. And he was one of us. And he said, come to my office. And I went to his office and I said, what the hell, you know? And he said, you know, you might have a problem with alcohol. You might want to check out an AA meeting. And granted, oh, I don't have it. I had a big book in my counseling office this whole time. <laughs> right there. I still have it. I read it every morning, 84 to 90. It's an old big book. Um, it was right there. You guys were right there the whole time for me. So I did. The very next day, I went to the West Portland group. I drove in from Hood River. I went to their Tuesday night meeting. And I didn't know what you guys were doing, but there was a bunch of people that were smiling and clearly not drunk. And um, you know, it's a podium meeting. There's a speaker, who, and they ask if there's any, anybody in their first 30 days or whatever, and I clearly was. I'm sure I was drunk that night before. And, and so the whole meeting switched to me, the newcomer. That was great, of course. Um, <laughs> and every person in that meeting talked about how they drank, how they felt, and how they weren't drinking. Every person, that's what every share. I now know it was a singleness of purpose meeting that saved my life, actually. Because I identified. I was like, oh, alcohol, I mean, I just, it was mind-blowing to me. I don't know how it was for you, but it really was. It was 
It was a gift from God. And I went home and got drunk. I think I was doing wine at that point, fancy red wine. Um, and I came back, like what you said, you get to come back. Um, and I have been ever since. You know, I asked a woman in that meeting to be my sponsor. She got me right into the big book. You know, you told me to get a home group, a place where I can actually get to know people and you can get to know me so I can actually have a, a relationship, relationships that I've been wanting and now I do. Um, like, friend, you know, relationships, platonic relationships, connection, that. Um, so I did everything that you said and, you know, and, and it has worked for me. Um, I've had five different sponsors. Um, they've gotten progressively meaner. <laughs> wait, no, wait. Don't say that. Don't tell Kirsten I said that. But I mean, my I had a I got a male sponsor before this sponsor because I wanted I was at a place in my sobriety. I I um, you know, I'm a solo parent, which is an outside issue. <laughs> it means nothing, but I just, you know, I, uh, my day, my luxurious days of doing as much AA as I want, like drinking, are over, you know, at least for now. Um, and I got to a place a few years ago, you know, I was doing all the things, checking all the boxes, but um, I really needed, I knew I needed to, you know how you know you're like, man, I need to get good and wasted. Um, I w wasn't thinking like that, but I was like, I need to get good and like a God shot. Like I, I knew, which I had heard before and seen before, because I still go to meetings and I still participate and I still sponsor lots of women. There's some women there here today I've got the pleasure to work with. I, what a joy, you guys. Thank you. Um, I knew that I was either going to start drifting, you know, or I needed to ask the person that I was most afraid of, well, you know, not afraid, like, oh, they're gonna hurt me, but most intimidating, for me anyway, and who I knew, like, if I was really in trouble, I would call this person. And so I asked this person, I asked him to sponsor me. And so for two and a half, three years, um, for me anyway, I, I got some really good, um, blunt, um, direction, particularly around six and seven, um, and uh, you know I needed that to grow up as a woman. And then I was like, okay, it's time for me to get a woman sponsor. That was fun. <laughs> um, this person didn't have children, so I knew it was time for me to have a sponsor also as a parent, which I do now. <clears throat> so today, um, just to be current before I switch to my topic, which is eight and nine, um, oh good, 345. <clears throat> I'm working on a home group. If I can't find one that does it for me, I get to start one. <laughs> can't miss anybody, you wanna come? <laughs> I do, I mean, I know how to do that because I mean, I'm not a taker anymore. I go to meetings because I'm supposed to, and I need to be able to share the message. I need to hear what happens, how it doesn't work anymore. But I also, it's you know, I'm kind of in that give back mode. So if I need to start a meeting, I'll, you know, I start a meeting. 
Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor at the same sobriety date. I just finished up eight and nine, actually, um, a few weeks ago. It's all in that notebook. Um, and I sponsor women, you know. And again, I'll help anybody. You know, if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you're willing to cross that line, I'll help you, you know. Um, so eight and nine. That's what you guys want to hear about. <clears throat> this last eight and nine I did, you know, amazing, you know, for good sponsorship. Um, we went through this resentment, this thing that happened, like what year is it, 2019? Something that happened, I swear to gosh, it was like four years ago. Like someone unfollowed me on Instagram or something like that, you know. <laughs> because I said something that she didn't like. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, but we're really good friends. How could she not unfollow, you know. <clears throat> and I was eating my lunch. It was eating my lunch. It was. It was, I was like I was hurt, all of those things. And then, you know, she would, I would hear her speaking in front of me. She'd be like, oh, I love you, Sheila. I'm like, well, why did you let that? I'm just giving you an example of how long it takes sometimes, at least for me, and kind of how the process of the step work, the steps work sometimes. Like I really love this woman. You know? Of course. And it seems so trivial, you know, on Instagram. But in putting pen to paper and doing this list. You know, um, you know, her name kept coming up. And even the sponsor, so with Chris, the sponsor I had before, Kirsten, you know, it's like, oh, you know, there's nothing there. You don't need to take a look at that, right? Different sponsors, different kind of thing. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess so. But in my heart, it's like, well, I love her. I mean, she's, she's my friend. <clears throat> You know, on, life goes on and on, on, parenting, work, la, la, la. <clears throat> I didn't have a part in that. I, I didn't do anything. I wrote something she didn't like. She unfollowed me. It's all on her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's my, in my, that's, that's my, that's what I'm telling myself. And so I go through the whole, I, mean, <laughs> I can show you, but I won't. The whole columns over all the writing we do. I do anyway. So, Oh, it's pen to paper, it's not on the computer, it's not a text message, it's pen to paper. You know, this, she, Kirsten's got lots of kids, I've, I'm a single working mom, you know, our you know, schedules, we, you know, we're in a car on the side of the road, you know, for like 15 minutes, you know, we're getting it done, I whip out my writing, and I read it, and she's like, <sighs> you know, pride, what did you do right there to retaliate? I'm like, I did retaliate what do you mean you withheld love I'm like what are you talking about I do love her and she said well, why didn't you call her up and say I love you why do you want to follow me or I love you what's going on what you know and I said well because why would I do what do you mean <laughs> we're in the car right she's busy we're busy but that line right I I I'm willing to go to any length. I'm willing to go to any length to not drink. 
I'm willing to go any length to stay free. I'm willing to go any lengths to stay connected to God so that I can be useful and be the woman that I think I was brought up to be and, you know, just do some good. That's it. That's the bottom line for me. So here we are going through this thing. And I'm still not, do you know what I'm saying? I'm still resisting. I mean, there are all these years, this years gone by that this thing happened. And I feel like there's other, all these other big things, ex-husband stuff, parenting plan, you know. But it's this little thing. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. And she's kind of she's pushing me, and that's what I like about her, because she's, she's a woman, so she's nice. But, you know, she's still on me, and I need that. And uh, so, yeah, so it comes down that there's, this, there's an amends. You know, I won't go into the gory details. There aren't that many, but she's like, you need, to write, you need to write this person a letter. Here are the things that you were wrong, and here's your fault, and here's your step nine action, if you're willing. I'm like, oh. I go home. I write the letter to this woman. And, uh, and this is what I love so much. I'm free. And the forgiveness, which is part of step eight, step eight and nine are about forgiving. Forgiving. I, I'm not free to be with you. I'm not free to not drink. I'm not free to do God's will. Um, when you know, I haven't forgiven you. I don't really know. I didn't know I was going to talk about all that. But that's the example. That's my recent example of, of step eight and nine. That took years, you know. <clears throat> and so I'll send the letter and I'll call her up and it'll be like, oh, times. I mean, there you go. And I'm looking forward to that, you know. Um, because, like I said on the onset, you know, I was a weirdo little kid. I just wanted to connect. I needed relief. Um, and I was trying to find God, okay? <clears throat> so also in step eight, um, oh, there's my Maryland notes, yes. Um, you know, you know, step eight allows me to go inward. You know, I make that list. And then step nine brings me outward to you. You know, I mean, all the double steps are kind of like that. You know, we start, we start and do the work inward. It's an inside job. Excuse me. You know, and, and I, I luckily, I mean, I guess it's luckily. I mean, I, I'm grateful that I had a lot of outside things before I got sober. The marriage, the degrees, yada, yada, yada. Because now I know when I get those in sobriety, that's not sobriety. I mean, I mean, that's great that you have, if you have all that, but... You know, those externals, um, finding your dream and writing a book and you know, it's an inside job. Recovery's on the inside, right? So I write that list, um, and then step nine takes me outward. Um, you know, the promises and principles for each step. I mean, you guys know this. Um, the promise for step eight, when I make that list and do that reading, step eight, particularly out of the 12 by 12, um, allows me to be less self-seeking. You know, instead of, you know, you what you did, you're wrong, how I'm feeling, um, I lost a friend, <clears throat> you know, or the serious stuff. 
or more serious, right? I lost that marriage. I just sell that business. Custody battles, all of those things, okay? The promise of step eight is I'm uh, less self-seeking. The principle is brotherly love, right? And step eight. Step eight allows me um, to have compassion and forgiveness to everyone. You know, the, the part that was read, you know, my task for step eight, I mean, we consider how with our newfound knowledge of ourselves, we may develop the best possible relations with every human being we know. And, and as was mentioned earlier, when and Amy and Dylan asked me to be a service, I was like, yes, of course. I feel like it was a million years ago. And then they're like, oh, you're going to do step eight and nine. I instantly was like, what, am I having problems? Am I not being very nice to everybody I know? And do I own amends that you guys aren't telling me about? It's crazy. <laughs> and so in between, you know, the amazing life that you and God and working an active program has given me, I've you know, read a lot about step eight and prayed and listened and um, you know, developing the best possible relations with every human being we know. And I am not doing very well at that, you know, right now. And I mean, I am with my sponsees, my sponsor, my my son's dad, which of course is a miracle, good relations, thank God for Al-Anon. But I'm talking about like my barista at Starbucks, the driver in front of me, my neighbor. Um, you know, I, in meditating, dev delving deeper into this step, like I really see, I really see where, you know, I'm failing. You know, at uh, looking at every person that I come into contact with as a child of God, like, you know, a baby, just like a perfect in their own way. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm failing. So progress, not perfection. The first eight-step list I made in 2005 with Allison at the Alana Club, Go Alana Club. I met her at the Surrender at Noon meeting. Um, my list consists, this was you know, 14 years ago, consisted of people that are married, people that have big houses, women that have big lips. <laughs> I have thin German lips, I will never have big lips. And a bunch of people like didn't invite me to parties and stuff in Hood River, why would they? I was sleeping with their husbands. I mean, so my, my, my eight-step list was my first one. And my patient, first sponsor, Allison, bless her heart, went through person by person, institution by institution, and went on to do the men's. You heard about my last eight-step list, my friend who unfriended me 13, 14 years later. There's a couple other people on there. Um, my son's dad will probably always be on there. <clears throat> I 
and a couple other people. It's short. It's a short list. It's a short list. Um, with deep cuts, you know, so I, we, we call it a short list with deep cuts, meaning you know there's more to be revealed. <clears throat> and then what I tell my, you know, share with any woman that I'm sponsoring who balks at the list is the same thing that was told to me even now. You know, it's just a, it's, it's just a grocery list. You know, you're just taking a, a piece of paper and writing down the things that are eating your lunch. And I was told, um, if you think it, write it. That's why like the big lip thing was on there. Because <laughs> I felt bad about mine. I didn't like mine. I don't feel that way anymore. There's growth. <laughs> if you think it, write it. If you think it, write it. Think it, write it. Um, I've got about a half an hour. I want to make sure that I don't leave anything out. I wrote some notes. Um, I'm pretty serious about sobriety <laughs> and why I'm here and AA. It's life or death. I've been trying to tell a couple of jokes, but I'm pretty serious about it. And, um, and so I want to be thorough while I've got you here. After Andreas left me, my first husband in Hood River, um, such a great guy. Hi, Andreas. I did a great amends with him. We're friends. Um, the next victim, I mean relationship, the next relationship I had, um, he had me the last, let's see, 2002, three, the last few years of my drinking. And one night, pretty soon, it was like a couple months before I got to you. Didn't know what was wrong with me. I was like living on someone's couch. We all went to this bar in Hood River that's not there anymore. It's called Savino's, and it was the party place where all the beautiful people went to party. And doing a bunch of outside issues in the back room. And I did what I always do. I, I did what I was always doing then. Um, overshot the mark, made out with a bunch of people I shouldn't have. Um, our group of friends were all, uh, you know, walking down the street. Um, and this man that I was in a relationship with, who loved me, who wanted to marry me, great guy. Uh, still, great guy. Um, sees me, you know, making out with some guy. Our, we're all friends. And I, I turn to him, and he karate kicks me and levels me on the street, right here. And I know now, he goes to my house and destroys my car. And he takes a rock and he writes slut 
on my car, my Audi, my white Audi. So the next morning, <laughs> I wake up in some person's house and I, you know, I'm injured. I, unfortunately, none of this was in a blackout. It's all quite clear. And someone calls me. And they're like, have you been home? I'm like, no, no, I'll get there. I mean, you know, where am I first? Let's start with that. Where am I in Hood River? You know, where am I? You know, oh my God. Um, and they're like, you don't, you shouldn't go home. Yeah, don't go home. This is, Hood River is a small town. I'm like, they're like, don't go home. Stay where you are. I go home. And there's the truth waiting for me at home, all over my car, all over my neighbors, everywhere. <coughs> And I, I, I brought that out in this person. So this person, who was you know, an esteemed community member, well-liked, as I was, M was, who was from London, almost left, almost like quit, big job out there, almost like left, like went back to London. I was horrified at his behavior. I mean, he was drunk too, he's not alcoholic. Normal guy. Or me. And he took my car to the Dells, <laughs> um, outside of the community, paid for it, fixed it. I mean, he was beside himself. It's the only amends I haven't done, been able to do. Just one in 14 years. Of course, I've done lots of men's in sobriety, but the only one, only one. I called him. I emailed him. I waited a year as I was instructed. I wrote a letter to him. Tried again. And he finally got back to me. I think I probably had three years maybe of sobriety. And he said, don't ever contact me. Don't ever contact me. <clears throat> so in that part of step nine, um, you know, our, uh, when I read this part about, you know, our, our behavior, like what, what, what I bring out in people when I'm at my worst, when I'm drinking in sobriety or not, or out of sobriety, you know, the, the behavior that my actions bring out in you, um, it's a real thing. Luckily, nothing that dramatic has happened, so I got sober, so. Um, <clears throat> What 
When I pray and meditate and write about and take eventually take action on step nine, um, for me, it's from the book about uh, direct harm that I'm causing you. And it talks about that. You know, step eight and nine, as you know, I mean, I don't want to, I'm preaching to the choirs, you know, um, 73 through 84, right? Right? No, 76 through 84, right? Page 76 through page 84, eight and nine. So in that step nine, what I'm looking for is harm that is direct. And, and that is something that I, I've had to be, uh, learn, well, learn the hard way um, and also been um, taught by good sponsorship. And I'll give you an example. Which goes to what I read from the 12 by 12 about not causing more harm by doing amends. <coughs> Amy, I just, do you have a minute? You know, this whole time that we've been friends, do you want to know what I really think about you? <laughs> I, I kind of, I've just been really jealous. I don't know if I really like you. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's on me. I mean, I'm making amends. I'm. I am so sorry. I've pretended to be your friend this 14 years. I know. I, but I'm trying to like clean up, just be you know really clean and clear with my amends. I was. I, I just need you to know the reason why I just didn't sit by you at that meeting because I really it's just because I don't like you. Okay. Bye. See you later. Okay. Bye. <clears throat> That's happened to me, three times actually. Yeah, makes me feel really good. Um, What you think of me is none of my business, unless I want it to be, and vice versa. Me having thoughts about, you know, being jealous or gossiping about or um, causing indirect harm because who knows what um, is not okay way for me to go to you, to bring to you. It's gotta hurt you. I know that now today. I've done a couple of men's like that before, unsponsored direction, and that has happened to me. And it's it's really, um, yeah, hurtful. <laughs> a direct um, a direct harm is when I slept with someone who is married. Kind of married, but married. <laughs> married. And I was married, kind of married, but I was married. And he was in the program too. And his wife was an Al-Anon, is an Al-Anon. That's a direct harm. I didn't tell her about it. She already knew about it. Because it talks about it in our book. It's very specific about that. So when it was clear that she knew, <clears throat> while this was going on, I was also getting divorced in a custody battle and had a one-year-old. 
It was clear that I had a direct amends to make in sobriety to someone in our sister program. <clears throat> and so I did. And what I was sponsored, direct, directed to do with that um, was to see, okay, <laughs> like I don't want to hear this. Um, I don't really know I was going to tell this example either, but it's it's the dooziest one I've had to make so far in sobriety. Hopefully, I won't do that again. Um, was call this person and ask if they would meet me in person, which kind of makes me feel sick even thinking about it. You know. Of course, they said no, but you can talk to me. You can do this over the phone. Um, and so, you know, I, I did what we were, what I'm supposed to do. I did what I'm willing to go to any length to not drink, to be free, to be able to stay here with you and do God's will. I said it was wrong for me to sleep with your husband. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> And <laughs> I mean, it's funny now, kind of. It is actually. And how can I write? How can I make that right? And then I was told to just. Mm -hmm. And they had two kids. And mine, my direction from this person was. I mean, they accepted it. And then they made some amends for some things they did <laughs> around this situation, which I didn't expect but appreciated. And then um, she asked me if I would stay like away from uh, events with kids, you know, co-events, football, baseball stuff for a year, if I was going to stay in this relationship, which I didn't stay in the relationship. And of course, I said, of course. And that was it. And there weren't any like angels and you know. But what it did was two things, you know. One, I got to continue to be an active member in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and hold my head up high, and you know, look you in the eye. Um, Thank God, right? I didn't get chased out of AA. And then two, it also again reminded me, of course, that the power and the solution, you know, is in the steps and the action that I'm taking. You know, step nine is an action step. There's a couple examples. <laughs> Hopefully they're inspiring. Um, <clears throat> the ninth step, uh, the eighth step promise is um, you know, less self-seeking.
because I'm starting to look at you as another human, your brotherly love and compassion. And then the ninth step promises, as you know, um, are on the bottom of 83, um, you know, through the top of 84. I won't read them. You know that you hear them in most meetings. Those are promises. Those have definitely come true. <clears throat> I'm trying to think if there's anything that I left out on step nine. The first eight step list I did with the lips and the people that I were mad at because they weren't inviting me to parties <laughs> um, 14 years ago. I didn't know how to take responsibility for my behavior for my life at all, and any you know, I was 37, three college degrees. For what that's worth, um, but I didn't know how to live life on life's terms. And now I do. Um, and it's only been through the process of um, pen to paper, pen and pencil to paper. I mean, reams and reams and reams of notebooks. I have an eight-year-old son. I'm always like. What should I do with all this writing? I don't know. Should I burn it? Should I save it for him? I mean, I'm kind of horrified. I don't know. If you guys have suggestions, I'm open. Um, but it's only through doing that, those actions with another woman, another you know, woman who's tethered to God. It, for a man, it was for a while. You know, alcoholism is the equal opportunity. You know, I'm not gender biased. Um, and then taking that action. And so I know how to do that today because of you. Um, again, I just want to re reiterate, um, I feel overpaid to be here. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor um, to be asked to participate in my own sobriety. Um, really, I, I, uh, I really mean that. And I hope that um, if you want to chat in the hospitality room afterwards, I'll be available. If you want to talk about anything that I said, or. If, hear the details, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> there would be only my details because I stay in my hula hoop, which I didn't know how to do. And then I wanted just to close with this, someone from my home group, which is not my home group anymore, I need to stop saying that. Which makes me sad. Um, this is something this person says every time they're at the podium. He's got like 30 years or something, I don't know. Uh, there are no big deals. My problems, I think, are basically of my own making. God does not work well under my direct supervision. <laughs> and maybe it's none of my business. And then he wrote, good luck. So thank you. <laughs>